Welcome to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Andrea Epstein with the Direct Impact Podcast coming to you today through your speakers. So excited to be with you. We've got an amazing guest speaker today, and his name is John Cuomo. He is a firefighter and a paramedic. He is an author and the owner of Wild Bull Media, Inc. Uh, With over 20 years as a firefighter, John is passionate about the fire and police communities. So we are so excited to have him today. Um, He is currently working on a new book about PTSD and mental health within the fire service. And this is a subject that he considers a priority. And frankly, we consider that a priority as well. We want to make sure that the fire communities, the police communities, and the military communities and all of our first responders get the attention that they deserve when it comes to complex trauma, post-traumatic stress, and just getting the mental health care that they deserve. Oh my gosh, all that they do for us, we need to be, you know, pouring back into them. So um, John hopes to reduce the stigma associated with PTSD, and we are here for that, John. So thank you so much and welcome. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be here with you and your audience. And like you said, this is a critical topic. So I'm really happy that we could discuss it and hopefully we can help others that are listening. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're here for. We wish we're here for the ripple effect. You know, we want people to hear something, learn something, do something, give back, pass it on. And it's all about healing. And life-giving content here. I mean, we absorb so much crud (laughs) just walking around (laughs) and we need some life-giving content. So (laughs) the topic for today is reducing the stigma of mental health needs for those in high stress work environments, especially, you know, in service work where there is consistent exposure to crisis and traumatic events. And we just want to shine a light on it today. So John, will you just tell us a little bit about your career and your passion to serve others struggling from like burnout and compassion fatigue and goodness, um, unresolved trauma? Very good. Yes. So I got into the fire service relatively young. It wasn't your normal way of getting into it. I wasn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a firefighter, didn't really know much about it, but circumstances developed where I lived, where we kind of hit a recession. So I started putting my application in into more stable jobs. One of them was the fire service. But once I went to fire school, the fire academy, I absolutely fell in love. I knew this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I really loved the atmosphere of working together with teams and taking care of emergencies. And the biggest thing was that I learned about myself is I love helping other people. Mm-hmm. So you get into the service and it, you, you sort of thrive. You, you, you show up every day and you're Something's happening in someone's life and you're there to help them and take care of them. But like you said, over the course of time, you you experience burnout and you experience the different things that come with the fire service. Uh, I'll never forget the the day. It took me two and a half years of intense work to get hired. So when I got hired, it was a huge thing for me. I was just elated 
smile on my face, she put in the race. And I'll never forget my chief sliding the badge over to me saying, remember how you feel today because you're going to need it to get through your career. And I Mm. thought to myself, I was just a kid. I was 21. I was like, what's he talking about? This is the greatest thing on earth. And I was so excited. But boy, would I learn that lesson throughout my career. Things would happen where you felt just so burnt out with things that you just wanted to get away. And there were times you even wanted to quit, you know, but you put it together, you held it together. and, And thankfully I did. And I'm retired now out of the force, but I want to stay doing something with the fire service for the rest of my life. I want to continue to help firefighters and the things that they do and even their customers that they serve. Um, Mm. That's the goal, my eternal goal there. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about passion, right? It's about passion. It's about purpose. That's what keeps you going in these high stress environments. And, you know, we do, we need it. (laughs) We need it because the pay is not there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, it's unfortunate people that get into the service sometimes don't see that I, I talk about in my book how the fire service is a service. So when you're entering it, yes. recognize you're giving a service to other people. Some people will come in thinking it's a job or it's about them and what they can get out of it. But mm-hmm. if you understand it's serving other people, that's where you get the highs that really help you carry through your career. Because when you hit those lows, it, you can look back at the individuals that you helped, brought back to life saved uh, their family member, put a smile on their face. And really that that's what does it for you. It, it just fills your heart, honestly, with love, to be honest with you. And you just can't stop and you want to get back out there. The, my, my biggest sadness in being retired from it is that I'm not helping people every day. So yeah, you have to have that passion. And, and if you understand it, that you're serving others and you, and you really want to do that, it really helps carry you through. It's, it, it's amazing. Well, honestly, I'm glad we can give you a platform to give back today. Uh, You're giving back through your words. You're giving back through your experience. You're giving back through your book (laughs) and what you're doing. And so, you know, that is what it's about at the end of the day are the people that we served. And, And I love how you said it's like, you know, it's so important to hover over these positive moments where we feel gratified by the work that we do because tough times there are coming, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So John, like our audience is interested in how to better cope with extreme and consistent levels of anxiety, which you're very familiar with. <laughs> um, so like extreme, consistent anxiety and complex trauma just accumulated over time. What unhealthy or dysfunctional coping mechanisms have you observed um, as a firefighter and a paramedic and yourself or others? Yeah. You know, fire service is an interesting job because you get to know these individuals like your family. You live with them for 24 hours. You eat breakfast, lunch, dinner with them. You sleep in a dorm with them. Their families come to the firehouse. You really get to know these individuals very close. So you can see instantly almost when they started derailing, when an individual starts derailing from one stuff. So drinking is one, I would say, is one of these mechanisms that people used to cope with. In the fire service, drinking is a big thing to begin with socially. So when you start seeing it get past that process, you know something's going on. Drugs are another one. I've seen individuals lose their job over getting addicted to illegal drugs. And even prescription drugs, painkillers and things like that that really have wreaked havoc on individuals. Wild behavior, you'll start seeing an individual who, you know, he's just a straight level individual. Then all of a sudden, 
you know, he's cheating on his spouse and he's out partying and you're doing, you know, what's going on here. This is not who this person is. So you start seeing that wild behavior. Uh, pornography is another big one that individuals get with or, um, and, and family problems, other things that develop a lot. So those are some of the, the things that people will just go out, you know, you, you, you see them coming in the morning and they're just exhausted. You know, they were out partying all night or mm-hmm. sometimes people will come in hung over, you know, so you, you really start seeing some of the things that they do to cope and, and how it's affecting them. Listen up, Direct Impact Nation. You know how important routine, structure, consistency, and accountability is on the road to recovery and personal discovery. Well, I have developed the perfect companion for you on your journey. My plan to recover journal is thoughtfully and specifically designed for the person looking to achieve long-term success in recovery while gaining personal insight, awareness, emotional intelligence, and spiritual integrity. The Plan to Recover Journal will help you stay recovery-minded, practice your priorities, and build a healthy relationship with self and others 12 hours at a time. To preview and pre-order your copy today, visit www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. That's www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. And don't forget to get a PTR journal for a friend on their journey too. Direct Impact Nation will save 15% when you use the promo code IMPACT. That's promo code I-M-P-A-C-T. With the purchase of your PTR journal, you will become part of an exclusive community dedicated to recovery and self-discovery. Visit www.lightninginabottle.biz and let us take you from want to to willing and from willing to healing. And you have such an amazing vantage point um, as a firefighter, because like you said, you're living with them, their family, you're around each other for 24 hours at a time, you know, in the civilian world, you know, it takes a little bit longer for those things to show up in the workplace. Right. And frankly, the workplace is the last place they show up because that's how you rationalize. You don't have a problem because you still have a job. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like you've got an amazing opportunity to catch things early right? because you can only hold in all of that toxic stress for so long before you start acting it out, yeah. Yeah. you know, whether it's pornography or, or food or alcohol or substances and, yeah. So you've seen people really try to cope with their stress, but it, it's they're dealing with it in ways that just bring horrific consequences to them and their families. Yeah. And if okay. they don't, they don't handle it right away, you could just see things get gradually worse. I, I try to, I, when I talk to individuals about it, I, I, I mention it's like carrying a bag. Like uh, you could think of a visualized a Santa Claus with his big bag of toys. You start mm-hmm. off your career, there's nothing in that bag. And each time you, you develop a, a, a trauma or something that goes on, and it doesn't even have to be only when you're responding to calls. It could be dealing with the job itself. There's a lot of politics in the job. It could be your home life. You People you know, getting divorced or they're having family issues or health issues or financial issues. There's all kinds of other things. And every time something like that happens, you throw another brick in that bag. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it's not that heavy, but over time it gets so heavy. You can't, unless you do something to alleviate that pressure, that stress, that weight, it's just going to take you right down and crush you. You have to do something. I love that 
word picture. And I love, I love that because I use it often when we talk about rage addiction and explosive behaviors, because I just call it the gunny sacker. And you, you are forced to sack all of those emotions, all of those traumas, all of those perceived injustices over time until you're allowed a free explosion, right? (laughs) You know, because, you know, even God would grant you this free explosion, you know, because my sack is full, right? And so, um, yeah, no, I love that analogy. That's a great way for our audience to picture just like all of these things. And it's not helping us by suppressing it or storing it up because it's going to come out. It's going to come out. All right, great. So how have you learned? What are some of the things that you've practiced? What have you adopted to cope with prolonged stress and trauma? Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, being 21 in the fire service, and here's one of the big problems that I'm trying to address. It's not a very well-educated service on this regard. In fact, when I started, there was nothing to talk about mental health. Halfway through my career, we had an individual that uh, an officer who went on a call that a baby drowned in a pool and we weren't able to revive him. And he just was so hit hard by that, had been children himself. He wasn't able to recover right away. And finally, the department came to him and, and told him to take some time off and seek some professional help. But even at that time, there was nothing in our books and our procedures to deal with that. They still had a heavy stigma. People thought he was too soft. They thought he should quit. This is, this is the job. Suck it up. If you can't do it, then go find another job. That was the kind of mentality that was thrown towards this individual instead of really helping him. So to be honest with you, Andrea, I had no idea that things were even building up. In the beginning, I never addressed it at all. I was a man. I was, you know, macho and the same, same stigma that, you know, we have in the fire service and nothing's going to affect me and I can handle it. And you go about doing these things and slowly you start picking up coping mechanisms. And one of them, for example, is you learn to shut off on a call. And it's kind of strange because I would come home and I'd tell my wife certain things like uh, you'd go on this call and it was devastating call. And then in the engine on the way back, guys would be joking about certain things. Did you see the way the blood splattered over here? Did you see that appendage hanging off the way it did? And, And you stop and you're younger, you're thinking, wow, we're making fun of a situation here that's really was a very devastating situation, Mm. but you start seeing that people have to separate. They have to separate themselves and their emotions from the job, what they were just doing. And so you start seeing certain things. And I realized uh, things were coming out of me. I wasn't handling certain things correctly. I was getting irritable more often. Um, I was even coming home and bringing that stuff home with my family and I really had to stop and look at it and because you have to go up the hill to battle. You have to say, am I too soft for this job? Because that's the stigma. And then once you get past and you realize, no, no, we're all human beings. And this stuff is going to happen to me every single time something like this happens. I had a particularly hard time dealing. We had a very older community uh, in, in my city. So we probably ran more heart attacks, death calls than most of my friends did in all the other cities around us, other firefighters. But Andrew, it was very hard dealing with individuals who've been married 40, 50, 60 years. And you're seeing these people hold on to you, begging with everything they have to save their mate, crying, Hmm. begging, begging. And you're there for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, CPR, putting drugs in, you know, using your EKG, doing everything you possibly can to revive this person. And then finally, you have to call it. 
And when you do, having to go to that person and tell them there's nothing you can do and watching them collapse, you know, into your arms and the strain. And I have a very good relationship with my wife. We've been married 30 years. You know, she's the love of my life. And all I could think about at those times over and over and over again, building up is, oh, my God, sooner or later, this is going to happen to either my wife or me. We're going to be this individual that's just devastated. How do I move on? I've been with this person 50 years, 60 years. I don't even know what to do, you know. So there would be times I would just call her on the phone after those calls. And, you know, well, I can't even talk about it now. It's weird. It still builds up. You know, I just wanted to hear her voice and I couldn't even talk like like now. And um, and that would help help get through a little bit. Um, so I would say getting educated was the first thing, you know, getting some sort of education on that. These things are going to happen. It's OK. We're all experiencing it. You know, I think a lot of firefighters don't recognize that we're all going through these things. They put on this tough exterior in this face and they come in and then they goof off and they make a joke about the call. But really, when they go upstairs in their dorm, it's messing with their head just like everyone else. So we have to understand that it is affecting us all. You're not the mm -hmm. only one uh, that it's affecting. Secondly, you have to get some education. You have to see how do I deal with these things? What are mechanisms I can use right now? And what are mechanisms I can use prior to something like this happening that are gonna help me. Um, and then also it's great to have a close bond and knit. So for me, my family and my faith was really huge. I relied upon them. Uh, their love helped me through many things and uh, relying on God and <clears throat> looking to him for help helped me out a lot. But then there's other things like you learn, for example, exercise. If you can keep a good exercise routine, this helps alleviate some of the stress. This is like taking that brick out of your bag one mm -hmm. at a time, little mm -hmm. by little. So some exercise, meditation. If you like to travel, for me, travel was a big thing. If I really started getting burdened, I'd always tell my wife, please, I need a vacation. Can you just plan something? Even if it was a weekend, we just take off somewhere just to get out of the area, get my mind off things, you know, try to settle it down. Writing is another thing that's been helps individuals. You could just write about the calls, the things that are happening, how you feel. But you could write about other things. You know, it doesn't have to be about the situation as well uh, that you're dealing with. Focusing mm -hmm. on gratitude was another thing that I learned that helped me. I'm so grateful for the things I have in my life. I've just, I feel so blessed. I really do. But of course, you have difficult things that happen. So you, when those things happen, you try to focus on all those, those things that are, you have that are blessings and the positive things that are in life. Those are some of the things that I've learned that helped me as a preventative measure and as a post uh, measure as well. But ultimately, I think the, once it gets to the point where it's, it's really affecting you and those things aren't working, you need to seek out a professional in that regard. And there's nothing wrong with that. These are the individuals that are there to help. You know, if I want, <clears throat> I want a great exercise program, if a professional shows me how to do it, I'm going to have a much better thing for success. You know, if, if I want to learn about computers and I, I talk with a professional teaches me how to do those things, that's where I'm going to be successful. So we have to get that stigma out of our mind in the fire service that there's something wrong with that. This is where we want to gravitate to. We want to go because they have the answers. They're the ones that say, okay, tell me what's going on. They've been dealing with these different things throughout the years. They've been educated in that regard. They are the ones that can give you the best information and best help to get you past those things. 
Heads Up Guidance Services or HUGS is a nonprofit organization dedicated to removing all barriers to quality professional counseling services. At HUGS, all motivated individuals, couples, and families can access the support they need and deserve in an outpatient setting. They recruit dedicated, compassionate, and socially conscious professionals who volunteer their time and specialized skill pro bono. HUGS doesn't work with third-party payers, insurance companies, or government dollars. Rather, they operate entirely with the support of people just like you. To help support HUGS, visit www.headsupsavannah.org. I love how you basically just listed out there recovery fundamentals. It's like recovery fundamentals 101 that you, you know, by the grace of God, you know, were able to identify and implement in your life. And that's huge because one, you found a way to put a support system around you. And yes, a support system includes the exercise, your spiritual practices, your gratitude list, but also your family and your God. I mean, like that is what recovery fundamentals are all about and community, you know, so you weren't experiencing this in a vacuum. And I have to commend you for making those calls to your wife and sharing that emotion with her, someone who loves you and knows you and sees you and supports you. Not everybody has that piece though. And, and so just to call her and to feel that relief afterwards it says okay i was able to share that with the person who's been put in my life to support me a lot of people and you've seen it do not choose to do that right. and it becomes another brick in the sack right because they're not sharing it with the people who really are there to support them yep and that actually causes a burden for them actually in their relationship because mm-hmm. now that other person feels like you know, at first I was like, I don't want to burden my wife with this. This is a situation as, as a, her husband, as the man of the family, whatever, you know, those thoughts go through your head. I don't want to put this burden upon her, mm. but if she sees you're going through something and you're struggling, and then you're not sharing those things with, with that, your partner, then mm-hmm. that also ends up putting a wedge between you and your partner. So now you're not eliciting them for help. And I'm not, I'm not saying you burden them day in and day out to the point where they can't go on life. That's when the professionals come in, but sure. Sharing with that individual also helps keep that relationship close and and tight, that bond between you two. Absolutely. Because those are the lies we tell ourselves. It's like, oh, we're burdening someone else. When in reality, you're burdening them when they don't share and they see the pain. Right. I mean, the lies that we tell. Right. (laughs) And, and, you know, and this kind of like gets me to my next question too, but you're talking about it now. It's like you start compartmentalizing And not sharing to the degree that you're almost like forced to develop maladaptive behaviors because you just continue to compartmentalize. Yes, we have to compartmentalize in a crisis. We have to put those emotions to the side so we can get the job done. But when are we circling back to those emotions to process them and unpack them and be like, wow, that was really hard, you know, instead of these little defense mechanisms like making fun of something that happened and just kind of like deflecting the emotion, like just sit in it and unpack it. And that's where I feel like we're not supporting our service members and our firefighters the way that they deserve circling back after an event. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, something, they finally brought something up, Andrea called CISD critical stress debriefing. 
So that yes. came in like a tidal wave in the fire service. Mm-hmm. But you know, the thing that the issue that ha- we had with that is two things continued to happen with that, that prevented that from helping. First and foremost, there is something great about getting, so the way CISD worked is we had a major incident. They would bring someone in from the outside, meet with the crew, have them talk and and get the things out. Here's some of the problems that happen with that. Mm -hmm. There are individuals that will respond right away. Okay. So this incident happens. It's devastating. A school shooting. You're dealing with all of this stuff. Someone comes in and they said, how are you feeling? What's going on? I can't get through these feelings, but I'm starting to get better. You know, whatever the person might say, that person might feel like he unloads it right then and there and he gets some benefit. Here's the several situations with don't work with CSD. It's usually done right after that. Now, most people need more time to process some major traumatic incident in their life than just one day of conversation. You cannot have that conversation right then and there and then everything's going to be as, as well. In a major incident, you need to go back and we need to work with that continually for some time. That's the first thing. But usually it's, just good. it's that day, it's gone. The second thing is some people don't process their feelings right away. It's like, you know, you get punched, you know, right in the head with something. You're dizzy for a moment. You don't know what's going on. And then after some time, you start coming to it. Then you realize, oh, man, I'm, uh, you know, I got a lump on my head. You didn't realize that right away. So you get hit with this traumatic event. It takes you some time for some people to process. And it comes out later on. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is we have a stigma. So now you're sitting around with a bunch of guys there that anytime you express this much emotion, the whole department found out about it and called you a sissy. And this guy's telling me, how do you feel about this situation? Well, guess what the guy's going to say? I'm fine. Nothing's mm-hmm. bothering me. I'm mm-hmm. just dealing with it. This is my job. What do you expect? He's not going to give, he or she is not going to give what they truly feel. So that's the problem with happened with CISD that it didn't initially, they thought that this was going to be the, the fix all. And it wasn't able to do that. So mm-hmm. we still have this major issue going on in the fire service. Sure. And isn't that human of people to try to avoid additional pain and humiliation yeah. by saying everything's fine? I mean, like yeah. that is just human nature. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a, that's guys, and, and I take nothing against women, I, I, but I'm not a woman, so I don't know. But as, as men, when we grow up, our daddies tell us, hey, don't cry, man up. You know, get over, get out there, do something. You fall on your skin, your knee. It's like, it's okay. You know, don't cry about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to make it better. So when you start getting to an adult, you know, and you're in the fire service, that same stuff still comes out. We don't talk about our, that's not what men do. You know, we don't talk about our feelings, you know, that that kind of feeling comes up with people. So that Mm -hmm. has to be worked around. Yeah. And I think we can work on that as parents too, because the message is it's not safe to feel. It's not okay to have your feelings. Big emotions aren't okay. And they are, they help us navigate life. <laughs> yeah, you know, Angie, absolutely. I, I, I look at our country with such a baby country, you know, we're 200 something years old mm-hmm. and you, I'm sure you're well aware of our political issues that are going on right now. It's just like the country's in chaos. Mm-hmm. And to me, I look at it like uh, we're hitting puberty, you know, as a country, we're hitting puberty with, <laughs> We're so little compared to everybody else around the world. And we're going through some difficult situations that we have to learn how to deal with. We have to learn how to be better with each other, take care of each other. And then there's things like this that we were taught as young men and and women sure have their own thing. I'm sure that they were taught as children that they have to learn, get past. But through education, we're learning. This wasn't the way to, to raise children. We want to raise them a little bit different, a little bit more open. So 
these kind of things that you're doing, the podcast that you have and the information that you're getting out there to people, these are wonderful things that help people understand, again, not only with yourself, but when you raise your child, that's the bigger thing for you to make mm-hmm. sure that they don't have that same situation that you that you got stuck with. They're able to get past that, that, that stumbling block quicker than you did. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, and part of like what our mission is with this podcast, this is about becoming a leader, becoming an effective leader in your home, in your own life, right. <laughs> in the community, um, in the world. And honestly, that ripple effect is going to, it's going to impact the next generation. <laughs> it is. And so I feel like leadership and legacy, it's really what it's about, you know, passion, purpose. Absolutely. Okay, listen up. I just need to say how life-changing Canva has been for our team. It packs the value of one, maybe even two, full-time employees saving me thousands. It is valuable money and time that I can put back into my business. Thank you, Canva, for making all the things possible. Use Canva for your social media posts, professional graphics, presentations, digital courses, posters, videos, logos, and much, much, much more. Canva is a must-have for real, y'all. With thousands of professional templates, images, and quality content to choose from, it's like having an experienced graphic designer and content creator in my pocket. With Canva, you can collaborate with your team and tackle projects together in real time. At Lightning in a Bottle and the Direct Impact Podcast, we use Canva for just about everything. And honestly, I don't want to imagine doing business or engaging our amazing community without it. For all these reasons, we have become a Canva affiliate. Please go to our show notes and check out Canva, www.canva.com. Go to our show notes and check them out. And don't forget to use our promo code, IMPACT to support this podcast. Now, back to the show. How does resistance, like when one becomes resistant to help, how does that impact their ability to lead or move forward in your experience? When when a person's in a, in a position of leadership themselves and they become resistant? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have several areas where you're ineffective when that happens. First and foremost, it starts with you. So if you're Mm -hmm. resistant, look, I could sit there and go into a boxing ring and say, I'm resistant to punches. But as soon as someone starts wailing on me, you know, those effects are going to start happening. And no one is resistant to what we see. It's just Mm -hmm. not possible. You may feel like you are. But when that individual stands up there and they, they feel like they're resistant, now it begins to diminish them as a person. So You'll come in, you'll see they're a little bit more nasty. You know, they're harder to deal with. They're more insular. When you're an officer, you have to be, communication is one of your big things. You have to constantly communicate. You have to let the individuals know what's going on during the day. What you're expecting from them, what goals we have to accomplish this week, this month, this year, you know, what kind of training and stuff. But these individuals become a little more insular. So you're kind of lost. You're looking at what are we supposed to be doing? Then they snap at every little thing. You also see it starts affecting their families. Mm -hmm. There's a very high divorce rate in the fire service. So you'll hear them start coming in and they'll talk about their wife or their husband in a very negative way. They'll explain some fights. Uh, They'll talk about their children. You know, my my son did this, my daughter did that. It's very negative. You could just see the negativity in them. It starts affecting them that way. They don't train as much. 
They don't know their job as well. When they get around the customer, for me, uh, you can see in my book, customer service is one of the big things I believe in in the fire service. When someone calls 911, you know, their world just got turned upside down. Now, I'm here to save that. I'm here to take care of you, but not just to fix the issue, but to leave a big smile on your face, to give you the kind of service that you had no idea you were not expecting. So that when I left, you were like, wow, I did not expect calling 911 was going to result in that kind of effort. And I've done quite a few things that, you know, I tried to blow the mind of my customer and, and just have them fall in love with the service. So that starts going away. The person is just grumpy. They're there. What, what's going on? What's, what's the matter? And, you know, you get, you get silly calls. We were called in the middle of the night for, you know, someone having a, a scratch in their thumb or I have diarrhea. What do I do? Or, you know, you get many, many silly calls. And then these kind of individuals get nasty with the person. And that's not mm-hmm. what we're here for. Yeah. Okay. This was a silly call, but, you know, have some empathy and, you know, some kindness. So you start seeing that, their effect on the customer, the patient, their effect even on fire scenes because they don't know their job as well anymore. That's how it affects them. And then they lose respect of the people they leave. You know, you're That's looking it. up to this individual, yep. you know, to take care of a situation. You're like, you don't even know your job or you're a nasty person. So now they start losing the respect in the, in the department. People start talking about them. Rumors start going around. It gets back to that person. Then he gets even more grumpy. So it's, it's like a vicious cycle that continues to go down. But the part that I think that really is hurtful, even bigger than that, is that they're now no longer aware. To me, in order to be a great officer, you have to genuinely care about those that you lead. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you have to go to dinner with them every single night, whatever the case is, but you have to care about them in order to be a great leader. If you're dealing with a situation and you're not, you're resisting it, you no longer have the capacity to turn to this other individual and see how is it going for them. You have to, your crew comes in the morning. When I went first thing in the morning, I would evaluate my crew without, without talking to them and telling them I'm evaluating you. You know, I would talk, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you ready for a good day? How was your weekend? You know, how were the last couple of days off? You know, and you're evaluating their countenance, their mood, you know, what they're talking about and you're saying oh okay he's not he's not in a good place today i gotta figure out what's going on there (laughs) well okay he's ready to roll and he's ready to rock let's you know we're ready for training and stuff but if you're resisting it you're the officer you're not even taking that situation you know you're not even looking at it you're not evaluating them on a scene that they didn't know their job well and they need some training in this situation or they were nervous about something and how can i help them you're not even focused on that but you're also setting a bad example for them and teaching them because you see, they see that you're going through something. They're not dumb, you know, and you set a bad example when you're teaching them that, yes, we have to try to be macho. Yes. We don't talk about our feelings. Yes. We try to just, you know, push this stuff down. So there's so many negatives when that you see when an individual has an officer's resisting all the way across the board for themselves, for Mm -hmm. the patients we deal with and for the crews that they lead. And I love how you highlight that resistance is about somebody becoming closed-minded and not they're no longer receptive to outside influence or you know healthy criticism or critique. They're not emotionally intelligent anymore or aware of their own emotions, much less the other people. So you can't be entitled 
and empathetic at the same time, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, it kills their creativity. It kills their empathy. It kills their compassion and how they engage with their team and how they model to their team. So yeah, very, very well put. And, you know, I just want our listeners to understand this, like, we talk all the time about having a positive impact and the ripple effect. Well, guess what? Negativity has a ripple effect too. And it really impacts others in ways that, you know, we don't even want to face, but we need to, we need to hold ourselves accountable to that. So awesome. Now you mentioned your book. Tell us what you're working on. Tell us a little bit more about your book and where our listeners can find more of you. Okay. So I wrote this book, Leadership Refined by Fire. So it is a fire service related book. And when I when I picked that title, my wife actually came up with the title, but I what I loved about it, it was a proxy of my career. So I started when I was 21 years old. I didn't have a great upbringing and I didn't have a lot of guidance. So I came in as a, I was a, a New Yorker that I came down to Florida and I, you know, I had this Yankee accent and I was very cocky and arrogant and I made some big mistakes early in my career, usually with my mouth running it. And I also made other mistakes because I didn't have the kind of training I had to learn. They, and they don't, the fire service doesn't sit there and teach you how to be an officer. They just like, you take a test one day, you're a firefighter. You, you score really well. And they're like, oh, here's a badge. Now you're you know, an officer and you have no idea how to handle these things. So I learned along the way. I made some mistakes. I was refined by some of the fiery mistakes I made. And I set out a whole bunch of things in there that I wish I had when I was coming up that would have taught me how to be a good officer. But on top of that, I discussed, Andrew, as you mentioned earlier, that leadership is all about you personally. My entire book continually talks about self-examination, 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 and then working on those things. And what that does is it makes you a leader everywhere. It makes Mm -hmm. you a leader in your relationship. It makes you a leader at home. It doesn't mean that you come home and you tell your kids, okay, your duty is to vacuum the rugs and your duty, you know, sweetheart is to do this bathroom. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. But what it does is It makes you somebody that people respect. When you're a leader, we talked about truly caring about the individuals you lead. So you're coming home and you want to see your children succeed. You want to see your mate succeed. So you're there looking to see what what you could be a part of to help help them. But you also, because of your self-examination, you work on yourself constantly. So you're working on those deficiencies or those negatives that you have that might cause an issue with your family or even with your friends, no matter where you are. The, the, the principles in leadership help you. Whatever career you're in, they apply to business, not just the fire service. So I always say I wrote it as with a business slant as well. There's a lot of business examples in the book that people could use, even if they're not in the fire service, that can help them. And then ultimately at the end, I, 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 I rounded out with a, a chapter on mental health. Now, from this book, this book com- comes from a place where you're the officer, you're the leader. So it's more about what you have to do to care for yourself. And then more importantly, how you look down to those that you are leading and watch over them, look for for the things that are going on in their life and try to help them through that. So that's from a leadership Mm -hmm. standpoint. But I'm in the process right now of working on a secondary book called PTSD, basically for first responders. And it's just strictly on PTSD. And this is going to be more like a book that says, because I'm not a professional in in the business, what it's going to be is it's going to be more like, why is this an important topic for us to discuss? These are the things, how it can affect you. Because 
you and I, there's things we didn't uh, discuss, like epigenetics, for example. People don't know that the things that are affecting them actually have been proven to come out in their, when they reproduce in their children. It, it puts them out of detriment uh, if you don't handle the situation yourself that's going on in your life, not just in um, uh, epigenetics, but also in the way you deal with them over and over again. But there's so much more that's being learned today about PTSD. So it talks about why is this an important topic for us to discuss? What are signs and symptoms that we might see in ourselves or others that we can use? What are some ways that we could do preventative maintenance and stuff like that? And then what are the ways that professionals can help us in, in that area? So that's the secondary thing that I'm working on. And then some other things um, I'm going to try to get that in, in the fire service if I can to be reviewed yearly so that people have something that every year they go over and they look at themselves, they do a little self-examination against these things. And they say, am I experiencing some of these? If so, let me go get some help or let me try these preventive maintenance things. Yeah. And then um, my book right now is available on Amazon everywhere that you normally can get it. And I have a website, uh, www.fdleadership.com. FD is for fire department, leadership.com. My book is there, um, other podcasts that I've been on and magazine articles that I'm writing, things like that. So just trying to work from there. And I'm on LinkedIn and I'd love to hear from anybody, anybody in your audience who's either read my book or listened to our conversation, had any questions or, or even comments, I would love to hear from them. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, this has just been a really rich conversation and so much to be taken from it and adopted and practiced, I believe. So do you have a particular call to action for our audience? What is something that they can practice this week based on our conversation that's going to make them, you know, self-aware and um, and have the insight that we all need to thrive? I would say, first and foremost, like I mentioned in my book, self-examination, Andrews, it's been like a godsend to me. I, I constantly, two, two nights ago, I was saying something on the couch with, with my wife and my son there and we were talking about something and I was just goofing off and I said something and then afterwards I went in my room and I thought about it I didn't like what I said you know and I just started thinking about it why did I say that why was I saying it that way what am I feeling right now what's led me to this point you know self-examination is the first and foremost thing you could do if you're there and you're listening today after this podcast sit down take a moment if you have some time and do a brief self-examination what am I feeling right now what have I done recently that I'm not really thrilled with? What led me to that? What was, what's the leading factor? You know, um, and don't ever stop doing that. Always self-examine. That This is the way to correct no matter what. Because we're like a, a, a car going down the road and we're constantly drifting one way or the other. And, and the more we self-examine, we keep ourselves on that right road. So mm-hmm. I, I would do that. Then I would list a few things that you want to work on, you know, even just one thing. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. You just set out a goal for yourself or, I have this deficiency. I curse too much or I, I <laughs> drink too much or, um, you know, I watch too much TV or maybe I'm on the computer too much. And it doesn't mean you have to cut them out completely. Just say to yourself, maybe a, a, an hour less a day on the computer, you know, or let me have, well, let me go one night without having an after uh, dinner drink. You know, let me, let me see if I can do that. List one thing, you know, and even, even say, I want to read more books. You know, I want to get a better educator on this. You know, let me get a book in this situation and, and let me get, let me start reading that. So list one thing, you know, and then start working on that. Make, make progress each day. Make a little bit of progress. Just said, I'm going to do this. 
you know, I'm going to read a book right here. So you go get the book and read one chapter a day or whatever you can read and make that progress. And when you start making progress, reflect on your progress. This is something I learned. Uh, it's very important. Um, I'm not sure if you've uh, heard of uh, David Goggins. He uh, pretty, have not. A pretty popular book. Uh, he's wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. Um, he was a Navy SEAL, a ranger, and uh, accomplishes mega marathons. He's a very unique individual and pretty incredible. But he has something he calls, put it in better words than I did. He's got a cookie jar, he mentions. So whenever he's down and out and he can't get past something, he goes back to his, not a literal cookie jar, but he puts in there the things that he's accomplished. And he can go back and say, well, you know what? I did this, this, and this. I can get through this. So when you make some progress on something, reflect on that. Oh, you know and what? Celebrate I, it. Exactly. Celebrate it. <laughs> exactly. And that helps propel you to the next goal, the next thing that you want to do. And it also helps you get past any issues that you might be going through. So again, I'd say reflect, do some self-reflection, self-examination right now. Find some things that you'd like, like to do a little bit better. Start making some progress on it and then reflect and celebrate your, your successes. Well, I feel like that's a wonderful, wonderful call to action. And all right, you heard it, Direct Impact Nation, like get out your notepad, <laughs> you know, dive into some of that self-reflection that we talk about. And I just, again, I want y'all to seek out John, learn more about him, buy his book on Amazon. And John, thank you again thank for you this conversation you. and for making a direct impact. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it talking with you. You're so welcome. Does anyone else feel like they just earned an extra brain wrinkle? Do you feel like that went by way too fast and just cannot wait till the next episode? Then leave a review and share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a coworker, or whomever, because your valued feedback makes a direct impact. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epstein.